in uh, O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. He's waiting for his plane to take off. And the funniest thing happened. He walked by this machine that was playing a recorded, a recorded message. And the message said this, uh, future predicted, fortune told, 75 cents. The guy thought, that's quite a deal. So he put three quarters in, and he waited, and the machine spoke again. Said, you're an American. You're 5 foot 10 inches tall. You weigh 155 pounds. You're scheduled to fly on flight 408 to Los Angeles, California. When you land, you're going to meet a beautiful young woman, and you're going to be married within six months. He thought, well, this is a scam. He's looking for the hidden camera. Somebody's playing a joke. So he ducked into the bathroom, changed his clothes, and pulled his hat down over his face so you couldn't see it, and walked back out the machine and put in 75 more cents and waited. The machine spoke again. You're an American. You're 5'10", weigh 150 pounds. And by the way, while you're in the bathroom changing your clothes, your flight 408 to California took off without you. <laughs> you know, predicting the future is just tough to do. And you'd think with all the technology we have today and all the equipment, we'd do a better job. But we, we can't even predict the immediate future. I can't tell you how many times over the last several years I've scraped three and a half to four inches apart like cloudy off my sidewalk the next morning. Well, they can't even get the weather predicted right. And I bring that up this morning because that's what I want to talk to you about. A few weeks ago, we looked at Mark chapter 13, and we talked about when Christ came back. And we decided, church, when's Christ coming back? We don't know. That's right. So we talked about that. But I've had several people come up to me since that sermon, and, and we were in the, in the sermon series, so I kind of let it go for a little bit. And they were saying, well, you keep telling us that the time's short. You keep saying we're running out of time. What do you mean by that? So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that today and maybe even see what Jesus had to say about it because you talk about predictions. I mean, my goodness, there have been thousands of predictions over the years about the return of Jesus Christ. And, and I love the subject, but man, there have been books, thousands of books written on it, churches split over it, arguments going on about it. And the problem is there's so much imagery involved and so many scriptures involved, so many possible uh, interpretations that it's hard to determine just when that's going to happen, even with all the information we have. I love what Dr. Belenskian says. He tells his eschatology class in college, he says, well, I can tell you this much. When Christ comes back, the ball game's over. And he says, duh, the ball game's over. And I love that because we don't know when he's coming. We've decided that. We're not going to figure out that this morning. We don't even know what inning we're in for sure. But I will tell you that when Christ comes back, I mean, the team can go home. The announcers can go home. The camera crew can go home. The referees can come home because when Christ comes back, the ball game's over. Yogi Berra said for years, it ain't over till it's over. When Christ comes back, it's over. Or just starting, however you want to look at it. But this morning, we want to look at Jesus as he teaches his disciples and his friends about the future. He, he made a lot of predictions. He predicted his persecution. He predict, pred, predicted his crucifixion, his resurrection. And he talked about his second coming. Now, we looked at Mark 13 together uh, several weeks ago. We're going to look at it again today because Jesus set this thing up. He said, there's some things that are going to happen in your lifetime that will set the stage for my coming back. And then he closed that talk with these, with these verses, verse 32. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each one with his assigned task. Each, guy, each person's got a team to be on or a team to lead, and that's something. 
And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, you keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch, he says. He's coming. Now, I know this is a complex scripture and the parallel passages that go with it, but uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I read this thing from Ortberg, and he said, in this text... There are two observations and two implications, and I've never forgotten. I want to share them with you. Here's the first observation. When Christ does come back, it's going to be a surprise. It's going to say, I mean, it could happen today before I'm finished, but it's going to shock a lot of people. It's going to come quickly. Verse 32, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. When Ashley was little, she loved to play this game. We'd go see Grandma, or we'd go to my mom's, and or we go to Aunt Candy's or Aunt Claudia's back then we were in Plainfield. And when we get there, Ashley would stay in the car. She'd hide behind something on the porch. And my dad would say real loudly, where's Ashley? And we'd say, ah, we left her at home. Or we forgot her at McDonald's. And we're going to stop and pick her up on the way home. And then she'd jump out and say, surprise. And everybody would say, there's Ashley. She loved that game. She still likes that game. But it's, it's, it's going to be like that with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? He's just going to show up. Stay alert, he says. Watch. Because he's coming at a time when we don't know. Now, um, I understand that there's no denying the fact that this passage of Scripture and the parallel passages of Scripture in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 are very hard passages to figure out. It's a lot of tough teaching going on there. But just like any other place in the Bible, if we set the context first and we do the hermeneutics, you know, we find out who wrote it, who they wrote it to, what it meant to that group, and then you figure out what it means to you, it makes a whole lot more sense. Well, this one's easy. We know who wrote it. It's a red letter. Jesus wrote it. He spoke it. He was speaking to his disciples, and the context was they had just left the teaching of the widow and the two mites. He was telling them about real treasure and about being generous with money, and it's nothing much to it. And he has to be a little disgusted because they no more than leave that lesson. We go outside, and one of the disciples goes, wow, look at that temple. <laughs> That's magnificent. I bet that cost a lot of money. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on the other. And they said, oh my goodness, when's that going to be happen? When's the sign of your coming, and when's the end of the age? And so Jesus tells him, now he's talking about three indicators that will show human history has moved into its final stage, and he can come back at any minute. And it's important as we study this together here, and, and when you're at home, or you're in a small group, or someplace else, that you remember the context as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, there's implications for all of us in every generation, but the context is he's speaking to the disciples, and he tells them there's some things that are going to happen that are going to set up my second coming. And the first thing is this, he says, that the Jerusalem's going to fall and the temple's going down. Did that happen? Yeah, it did. In 70 AD, the Romans uh, advanced on Jerusalem, and they said they were putting down an insurrection, and they leveled Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. Not one stone was left on top of the other, and that's something killed a lot of people. It, it was devastating. It's interesting that most people date the writing of Mark in the 60s AD or so, which means that this was going on as he wrote that, which probably explains verse 14 that you hear quoted so often when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it doesn't belong. Let the reader understand. That's probably what he was talking about. I love the message version. It says, make sure you understand what I'm talking about. In other words, Mark's saying, look around what's going on. Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple would be coming down, and it's happening. 
The second indicator he said that he was coming back was that there was going to be major persecution on them, on the disciples and that group of people, that they'd be taken to court. Some of them would even die. But he said, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will be there to help you out. Did that happen? Yeah, it did. You read through the book of Acts or even put the Bible down and just pick up a history book and see what went on during that period. Christians took a beating, man. They fed them to the lions. They lit them as torches for their backyard parties, skinned them alive. And make no mistake about it, family, that's still going on today. There were thousands of Christians killed last year worldwide for their belief in Jesus Christ. And there are thousands of them in prison right now. It's not happened here yet. But it's happening worldwide, and it started with this generation. The third indicator is he said that the gospel would be preached to all nations. In other words, this isn't just for the Jews. Colossians 1.23 says it's for every creature under heaven. Did that happen? Yeah, they saw it. Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, which actually got us invited into the kingdom. You read that story. That's how we got involved. And because of that, then Paul became the missionary to the Gentiles. It's an amazing story. So summary, Jesus said you're going to see Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. You're going to see persecution like you've never seen before. And uh, you're going to see my gospel taken to all the world uh, at the time, which they did. And then in Matthew 24, 34, he said this, Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Now remember, he's talking to the disciples. You're not going to die until you see Jerusalem destroyed and the temple come down. And they did. This generation is not going to disappear until you see persecution like you've never seen it before, and they did. This generation is not going to be gone until my gospel has taken the entire known world, which at the time it was. And Jesus said, when you see these things, I want you to understand that you're in the final stage of human history, and I could come back at any minute. And they understood that. That's why later on we read things like Peter. He said, for the end of all things is near. And John would say things like, children, the last hour, we're in it. We see language like that in the New Testament because they understood that Jesus had set the final stage for his return. They understood that. We need to understand that. The stage has been set. We don't have to wait for anything else. We don't have to wait for the white heifer or the temple to be rebuilt or Babylon to be reconstructed or the sacrifice to start again. Jesus could come at any minute. He could come today. And so the point is, he says, keep watch. Now, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, we talk about it here all the time. You plan your life like he's not coming for 100 years, but you live your life like he's coming today. But here's one thing we won't be fooled by. No TV programs, no CDs, no lessons where they say, you know, we're seven years out when this happens or we're four years out when this happens because we understand now that Jesus could come back at any minute and it's going to be a surprise when it happens. Here's observation number two. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be decisive. It's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be decisive. Understand the things that we know it will be gone forever. In other words, nobody's going to be saying, well, what in the world's going on around here? What's this all about? No, everybody will know that the master of the house has come back, and he is in charge. I always loved uh, the story of Christian Hertner. He was the former uh, governor of the state of Massachusetts. And he said he was having a political rally for his uh, re-election campaign. And he worked all day. He, he hadn't had anything to eat. And they were serving barbecue chicken at this rally. And he got in line and the gal said, uh, he said, I have two pieces. I'm starving. She said, one piece per person. 
And he thought she was kidding. He said, I'm just so hungry, ma'am. Can I have two pieces? And she said, no, one piece per person. And now he's ticked off. And he said, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the governor of the state of Massachusetts. She said, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move on. And he did, you know. Listen, I'm telling you, when the owner of the house returns, he's going to be in total charge. You understand? Total charge. I'm talking about unchallenged, unhindered, uninterrupting, unending, King of kings and Lord of lords. When he comes back, he's going to be in full charge, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It's going to be something to see. Now, the first time Jesus came, he came kind of uh, unassuming and, and uh, very few people noticed. He comes back the next time, every eye will see. The first time he came, he came humbly born in a barn. He comes back the next time. He's coming in power and majesty. The first time he came, he came to serve and, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We just talked about that last week. Understand when he comes back this time, he's coming to rule as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we need to tell everybody we know because the day is coming soon where he's going to be known as the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of Donald Trump and Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi. Praise God. He's the Lord of George Sneffelopoulos and Bernie Sanders, Oprah Winfrey, and Rush Limbaugh. He's the Lord of Batman, <laughs> Birdman, Spider-Man, and Superman. He's the Lord of Bill Gates and George Soros and Ted Turner, whether they know it or not. He's the Lord over Faith Hill, Elton John, Miley Cyrus, and Carrie Underwood. He's Lord over Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Jacoby Brissett. He's Lord over Main Street, Wall Street, and State Street. He's Lord over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Constitution Avenue. He's King of Madison Avenue, Park Avenue, and Michigan Avenue. He's Lord over Hollywood Boulevard, Times Square, and 6510 South Rockport, Lord. He is Lord and God over everything. And you might as well tell everybody because he's coming back, and I think soon, and every knee will bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's coming. It's coming soon. Whew. Ah, kind of excited about it, too. One of the ways the Bible describes the decisiveness of Christ's return is it says he's coming as a judge. Now, he's not coming in a judge as we're used to, as a judicial type deal. Acts chapter 10, verse 42 says he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Now, when you think about that, if we're honest, that kind of, it's kind of spooky. Coming back to judge, we've got to be thinking, what did I do last night? You know, what did I watch last night? But listen, the writers of the New Testament understood what that meant, and it was good news for them, and it should be good news for us. I mean, at the base level, we love justice. You know what I mean? We just do. I, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to a high school football game or basketball, but the craze now is volleyball and, and women's volleyball, high school women's volleyball. Oh, my goodness sakes. I've got to see Allie Goss play a couple times in the last couple of years. She's an animal. And I watched Coach's daughter play last year. She was an animal. But to watch, I mean, they're excited. I went to the Edgewood, uh, Owen Valley, girls volleyball. And I'm telling you, that place was rocking. And they made a couple of bad calls. I thought Adam Goss was going to go down there and beat the snot out of him. Get him out of here. Rid the earth of him. Man, we don't like missed calls. Because we want justice. But it's so much deeper than that. So much deeper in college sports or high school sports. I mean, you read the newspaper, you watch the news. I just saw the tape of that guy with the two gals going down over the hill, the teenagers that disappeared in Indianapolis three or four years ago. They still haven't found him. We want justice, man. 
I read last week about a guy that fleeced some elderly people, five different elderly people out of their entire life savings, and he's vanished. We want some justice. We're seeing cheaters getting away with cheating and liars getting away with lying. And we're seeing abusers getting away with abusing. And we want some justice. Well, I got some news for you. That's going to change when Jesus comes back. When the owner of the house shows back up, look out, man. Ledgers are going to be settled. Accounts are going to be settled. Cold cases are going to be taken care of. Justice is coming when Christ comes back. And somebody says, wait a minute, are we going to get judged too? Yeah, we are. But not in the sense you think we're going to get judged. See, we're not going to get judged. You think we should be judged for our actions, the way we lived, to see whether or not we get to go to heaven. That's already been taken care of at the cross. That's why I preach. Amazing grace, man. It's crazy. But when Christ comes back, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the seat of judgment of Christ. Why, Paul? If it's already been determined that we're going to heaven, why do we have to be judged again? He explains that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, if you can wrap your mind and heart around this, he's going to give us even more grace, if you can imagine that. Remember, Jesus said, don't, set up, don't store for yourself treasures on earth because moth will eat it up and rust will corrode it and people are still it. You set up for yourself treasures in heaven. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ to get those rewards. It's going to be amazing stuff. Which leads to re- two real quick implications. I mean very fast. Uh, the observations are he's coming back. It's going to be a surprise. And when he comes back, it's going to be decisive. Here's the implications. You and I ought to be living our lives with passion and urgency. Especially now. Verse 34. The master left his servants in charge. He gave him a job to do. We have a job to do. That's why all this talk about teams and team leading and team building and making disciples who make disciples because we got to set up some teams so when we make them, they can come in there and we can give them a job in the body of Christ and we got to be doing this. And let's not forget about the urgency. Watch, he said, I could come back at any minute. When he comes back, we want him to find us doing what we were told to do. Not so we can go to heaven. So we'll see we didn't miss the opportunity to do what he told us to do in the first place because he's coming back. He gave everybody in here a job. Trust me. I'll prove it to you in the Scripture. Come and see me after church. I'll show it to you, but you already know it. He's coming back to see how you're progressing in that job. So I don't care how old you are or how young you are or how long you've been a Christian. He's given you a task to perform, and you need to make sure you're getting it done. That's why we read passages like 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing or his coming back, I give you this charge. Preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's why we read passages like this one. That's why I'm pounding this one to you constantly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? His day. You be in church on Sunday morning. Why? Because he's coming pretty soon. We need to be encouraging each other and filling each other with that kind of passion. Do you think... The South Union Christian Church is the only church right now, especially in this area, where the numbers are down? Because we're not. Across the board. I've told you before, all my buddies are saying the same thing. Do you know what the average is? I'll tell you again, I probably did. The average church attender, as of last year, are going to church. The average normal attender, 1.8 Sundays a month. That means almost three Sundays a month they're doing something else. 
Now, I'm just preaching this. I just read this. You do what you want to do, just like you always do with the truth of the gospel. Do you really want to have Christ come back on a Sunday and find you at a volleyball tournament? At a wrestling meet? Camping? Sleeping in? I mean, I'm just asking. Now, look, I'm not talking about vacation. This was fall break, and we got a lot of people out. I applaud that. I go on vacation all the time. I'm talking about weekend and week out. All the more as you see the day approaching. Stay together. You got work to do. That's implication one. We've been instructed, and we have work to do. And some of us have work to do in our own homes. Some of you have people in your own homes that don't know Jesus Christ. A lot of you have it in your classrooms at school, places you work. Stay alert. Don't go to sleep. Don't drift off. We have a job to do. Let him find you doing it when he comes back. Here's the second implication, and I like this one. We ought to be people of joy, people of hope. We ought to have such hope. We ought to have such a smile on our face that people just want to smack it off when they see us. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, do you know there are over 300 references in the Bible that tell us that Christ is coming back to get us? Christ is coming back personally to pick you up and take you home as his bride. Is that amazing stuff? We ought to be walking around with that. Now, look, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. If you're like mine, you're up and down. We're, we're like that cargo ship full of yo-yos that sank in the Hong Kong harbor 50 times. We're up and down. You know, think about that. You'll laugh about that later. But that's it. I mean, we come in here some Sundays, and things are good, and we're okay if Christ didn't come back. I mean, we had a good week, had a good weekend. We come in here some Sundays, it's like, please come today. I don't want to put up with what's coming Tuesday. But it doesn't matter which Sunday you're here. It doesn't matter whether you're up or whether you're down. He's coming. Nothing's going to stop that. And I do think it's soon. And because of what he did for us at the cross... You know, I was praying about that this morning. Most of you know from 9 to 9.15 every Sunday morning. Now, we've already prayed over this church quite a bit from 6.30, but at 9, the praise team breaks up, and we, we huddle over, they pray over me, and then we pray for 15 minutes. I was back at the cross praying this morning, and I said, Lord, I don't get it, but I got it. This whole grace thing, I don't get it, but I got it. Do you have it? Because it's yours for the taking. It wasn't cheap. But it's free. It cost him his broken body and his shed blood. And he said, when you get together on Sunday, I want you to not only think about the fact that I'm coming back to get you real soon, but I want you to do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, come up here and get on your knees and pray about whatever you want to pray about in terms of what we just learned from the Word. But most of all, thank him for this, for what he's done for you.